You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hi everyone, welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. Today is the 77th anniversary of Victory in Europe Day, VE Day. Daniversary Snow here, reporting for duty. So the guns fell silent across Europe. Nazi Germany unconditionally surrendered. Hitler's short-lived successor as head of state, as Führer, Admiral Dönitz, surrendered to the Allies. Nazism was defeated. Don't forget, though, that wasn't in the Second World War. 99 days later, Japan surrendered in the Far East. But it was the end of a long, brutal struggle against Germany. In fact, the greatest war in human history. At 3pm, Winston Churchill gave a speech from the cabinet room of Downing Street. He went to Parliament to officially tell them that the war had ended. Then he addressed the crowds of London. This is an episode from our deep and brilliant archive. We recorded it in 2020 when we were in the heart of lockdown and it marked the 75th anniversary of V-Day. We talked to historians, we talked to a veteran and we listened to recordings of Churchill himself from the day. It's such a fun episode, this. It was such an important episode. I hope you enjoy the fact that we're repeating it. We've also got some great VE Day content on History Hit TV. Lots of 75th anniversary programming, which is all available on History Hit TV. It's the world's best history channel. You simply go to the link in the description of this podcast. You simply click on that and it takes you, it whisks you to a web page. And there you can subscribe to History Hit TV. You can join the tens of thousands of people watching History Hit TV every single day. It's exciting stuff. So enjoy this V-Day episode and get subscribing. And now, oh, what wonderful luck. At this moment... At this moment, how wonderful Mr. Churchill has come out onto the Ministry of Health balcony. Now Mr. Churchill stands on the balcony of the Ministry of Health. He's wearing his boiler suit, the famous boiler suit that he's made so wonderful. And he had the audacity, shall I say, to put on his head his famous black hat. Nobody can say that it goes with a boiler suit, but you heard what a cheer it raised from the crowd. He stands now in the floodlight and he's giving the victory sign for all his might from the thudded balcony. This is your victory. Victory of the cause of freedom is every day. In all our long history, we have never seen a greater day than this. 
spiders along the earth, nor the dangers, nor the fierce attacks of the enemy have in any way weakened the unbending resolve of the British nation. God bless you all. Now listen, the band is playing Land of Hope and Glory, and the crowd is singing. And this suddenly has become a very moving moment, for Mr. Churchill, too, is singing, and he is conducting the singing of this song. Will you listen, please? That was Winston Churchill there. Obviously, as ever with Churchill, putting Britain's struggle into historical context, historian as he was. Next, we're going to be hearing from the Imperial War Museum's historian, Toby Haggith. I talked to him uh, as part of my History Hit Lives on YouTube's Timeline channel. It was so good, I just wanted to share it with you guys here as well. Toby is such an expert on these things, and he let me know what was going on around the country on VE Day 75 years ago. One of the features of the V-Day celebrations, even on the evening of the 7th of May, was the bonfires. In Piccadilly, some people set up a bonfire in Piccadilly on the evening of the 7th of May, which was quickly cleared away by auxiliary fire service. But bonfires were a feature of all the celebrations all around the country. And this was spontaneous. It was completely unplanned. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, the blackout had been raised from the 7th of May. In fact, the Ministry of Labour had said all workplaces and factories no longer need a blackout. And one of the first things a lot of people remember of the evening of the 7th of May was an absolute kind of flood of lighting everywhere. So there was a woman in Hull who was an evacuee, and she recalled that on the evening of the 7th of May, everyone in her house turned all the lights on, and all the light in the house and all the street were turned on, and the blackout blinds were pulled down. And then... She remembers in how all the bonfires on all the bomb sites all around. And of course, you know, children had had no Guy Fawkes night for the last five years. There'd been the blackout restrictions, which were actually a real pain for people. I mean, they were quite dangerous. People would fall over things. They found it difficult to write. They'd found it difficult to read. This was a real problem and people really object to it. And also, 7th, 8th of May is a few days not long into spring. And normally, in the historical calendar of Britain, the evening of the 1st of May is a time for bonfires. It goes back to Beltane, the Celtic festival. It's the start of spring. And for me, in a way, this V-Day coincides brilliantly with the normal celebration of spring, which is rebirth, banishing the winter. And the bonfire, traditionally Beltane, people would dance around the bonfire, which they all did on V-Day night and then the 7th of May, you would throw a sacrifice into the bonfire. And who is the sacrifice we all throw into the bonfire? The effigy of Adolf Hitler. So there's something very primeval going on there. 
was there problems with sort of lawlessness that night? Was everyone given a bit of a pass by the police to do whatever they wanted for 24 hours? What you found was that, as you quite rightly realise, this was a brief moment for kind of unrivaled fun. The thing people do is they clamber up onto things. So they climb up onto vehicles, they climb up onto the top of buildings, they climb up lampposts. And also people get undressed. Lots of people take their clothes off. There was a report of a woman on the top of a bus who got completely naked in the centre of London. And the police generally tried to discourage this, but you just couldn't stop it. So again, there's something rather carnivalesque about the whole thing. Normal rules do not apply. These are mainly young people who are doing this. And as lots of people recall in their testimonies on the IWM's testimony site, everyone went a bit mad, which is completely understandable. For six years, there'd been incredible restrictions over people's normal behaviour. There's a lovely story of a man in Ashford. He was about 17 at the time. He grabs a girl who he'd rather fancy, and they clambered up onto the roof of the Odeon. God knows why people have to get up high, but they do. And he's snogging this woman he's met, and he looks down, and there's his mum staring at him, looking rather disapproving. There is a bit of minor lawlessness, let's put it that way. High spirits. All these groups, like the young women that have gone out to work and gone away for their families or joined the ATS, what about all these groups that experienced quite a lot of freedom during the war? Were they partying because they were slightly worried about what the future held? They might have to go back into those slightly more restricted... I've never heard anyone say that. I think it's an expression of relief. It's a kind of giddy excitement because you have survived. Soldiers often experience a similar thing. I mean, far more grimly, the films that cover the men on the day of the Battle of Somme, returning from the lines, having survived the first day of the battle, they look extremely excited and giddy with happiness and joy. And apparently that's a common reaction to people who have survived what they thought to have been a death-defining moment. And so many of the people who recall B-Day talk about the relief. We were so relieved that it was over, that we'd got through, there'd be no more killing. One woman said that she was so relieved that she wouldn't have to be scared of the bombs anymore, to hide under my blanket. And let's not forget, 27th of March, the last B-2 weapon fell on London. Only a bit more than a month earlier, Britain and London in the southeast had been subjected to the most terrifying onslaught of rocket weapons. There were 30,000 casualties, hundreds of buildings were destroyed. And this was a weapon that was even more terrifying in some ways than the Blitz because you didn't hear the B-2. So the threat to Britain, although it ostensibly had it ended, there had been the thought after the Blitz, there'd be no more bombing. And then the B weapon comes. So I think a lot of this madness, if you like, is also incredible relief. Relief that it was all over. And the other thing I've noticed, there's lots of young people in lines marching at great speed, apparently directionless. And for me, I felt it's sort of we're marching on to the rest of our lives to have children, to have love, to get married, to have a job to return to our careers, get on with our lives. That was Toby Haggith. I must say, all that public nudity sounds very unexpected, very un-British. Just goes to show, national myths. You listen to Dan Snow's History. We're talking about the anniversary of V-Day. More coming up. Have you ever wondered if the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were actually real? Or what made Alexander so great? Join me, Tristan Hughes, twice a week, every week on the Ancients from History hit 
where I'm joined by leading academics, best-selling authors, and world-class archaeologists to shine a light on some of ancient history's most fascinating questions, like who built Stonehenge and why? What are the Dead Sea Scrolls and why are they so valuable? And were the Spartan warriors really as formidable as the history books say? Join me, Tristan Hughes, twice a week, every week on the Ancients from History hit wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Next up, we have got a conversation I had with Edward Toms. Now, you will excuse the slightly dodgy telephone connection. The fact is Edward Toms is 99 years old. He is isolating at the moment. He has not been within three metres of a human being for the last eight weeks. And thank goodness for that, because he's a national treasure and he's protecting. Edward Toms served with the SAS in the Second World War. He's one of the last survivors of the original SAS, if not the last. He is a wonderful man. But I just wanted to catch up with him and ask him specifically about his VE Day. What do you remember about VE Day itself? Where was your unit? Yes, I remember exactly where we were because we did the assault crossing of the Elbe on the night of the 28th, 29th of April. And we actually got into Lubeck, which is about 50 miles to the east, on the morning of the 4th of May. We reached the outskirts of Lubeck, and we were bombed by the Luftwaffe, who were using the autobahn to the west of Lubeck as a takeoff strip. They managed to get planes to land there and bomb them up. So the very last action I had of the war was on the 4th of May, when we were bombed holding a bridge on the way into Lubeck. And then they all surrendered, and we disarmed them and sent them walking westwards. That's all we could do. There were thousands of them. And so on the 6th of May, all operations ceased. All the 7th of May was taken up with negotiating how the surrender would happen. And what about you? Was everyone up for a drink or was it just exhaustion? We had reached Lubeck and found it to be totally undamaged. It's a beautiful city, Lubeck, very historical. I remember taking a burgomaster, or he took me, to the head of the police. And all the policemen, every policeman in Lubeck, was assembled in a big barn, and they were the only authority left in Lubeck. So they surrendered to me. (laughs) 
and I just passed them on to General Hull, who was commanding the 5th Division. Talk to me, Edward, about when you met the Soviets. What was that like when you had a drink with the Soviets? Uh, Well, they were drinking. You won't believe this, but somehow they uh, drank high-octane petrol from their tanks. They had no liquor, and so we were invited to partake of that. And, you know, it killed you. It was silly. So we got a whole crate of scotch, and we had this marvelous party where we all got absolutely blotto. That would have been about the 14th of May. And the next morning, when we were all sore-headed and faced with a very nice, bright sunrise, we found they'd already built a roadblock about 100 yards down the road from where we met them and were flying the Soviet flag. We responded by making our own roadblock and flew the Union jacket. And I think they were under instructions from Moscow and the commissars not to be too friendly. And when it happened, human nature was such that we were all delighted, hugged one another and danced together, and generally, like soldiers do, enjoyed ourselves. And then that must have been reported back, and they clamped down. They wouldn't come. We tried to wave them where we had some whiskey on a table, they just refused, you know, they just... This had happened at every route eastwards where the British were pushing as far as they could get. What are your thoughts on this week, 75 years since the end of that war? First thought, of course, is always with those young people that didn't make it. You feel so sad because... Basically, you've had, I've had a very happy life, and they were denied a life altogether, really. I mean, they were still schoolboys, in a sense. They never had an adulthood, and they died some 18, 19 years old. So you think of them all the time, I do. That was Edward Toms. Can't believe he didn't take a swig of the petrol. Actually, he never said he didn't. I reckon they might have had a... You might have had a nip at the petrol. Lastly, we've got the writer, Russell Miller. He's trawled through hundreds of first-hand interviews and diaries and memoirs, talked to lots of veterans about VE Day. And I got in touch and asked him for some of his reflections about the big day. In your research, is it possible, as a big headline, is it possible to say what the sort of national mood was, or is it far more sophisticated than that? I mean, was there euphoria? Was there fatigue? What comes through the sources to you? At the time, VE Day itself, of course, there was a huge outpouring of joy and relief, but it was tempered by the fact, of course, that many, many people had lost loved ones during the course of the war, and the fact that the war was continuing still in the Far East, and there would be many more people who were going to have their lives lost in Burma and other places. So it wasn't the end of the war, it was just the end of the war in Europe. Talk to me about the research you've done on just normal women and men on the streets, in the factories, in the offices of Britain. First of all, how did they hear about it? And secondly, what did they do? 
Well, there was a lot of confusion initially because the papers had reported that Hitler was dead and that Montgomery had received the surrender of German generals on Lüneburg Heath, but still VE Day hadn't been announced. I think the first true indication they got that VE Day was close was when the Board of Trade issued an announcement saying that until the end of May, you may buy cotton bunting without coupons as long as it's red, white or blue and does not cost more than one shilling and threepence per square yard. Now, some woman said to me that Board of Trade never gave nothing to anyone. So when this happened, we knew that VE Day must be very close. But nevertheless, there was still no clear announcement until the evening of May the 7th, when it was announced on the BBC that VE Day would be the following day, it would be a holiday, and the 8th and 9th would be public holidays. So everyone then knew that at last it had come. Rationing was still in effect. Did they have the wherewithal to party? Yes, they did, because what had happened is in the preceding days, people had been getting together, had been pooling their ration books, they'd been saving up the ingredients for a party, cakes and drinks of all kinds. And so people were ready for it. It's just that they had to wait until they got the announcement of the day was actually happening. So there'd been a lot of subterranean preparation for the big day. And lots of communities have been working together for several weeks to make sure that when the big day came, they would have the facilities for a party. What about in Europe? Did you talk to veterans who heard the news? Would they hear it from their commanding officers or just on the radio? How would they find out? They heard it from their commanding officers. The serving soldiers heard it from the commanding officers and the German people and the German army heard it from broadcasts by Dönitz, who'd taken over from Hitler. Germany was in a much, much worse state than we were. The people were on the brink of starving. There were mutinies in the army. There was lawlessness across the land. Germany was absolutely ravaged and brought to its knees by endless bombardments and the might of the West. So they were a lot, lot worse off than us, and there was no cause on their part to celebrate A, they'd lost the war, and B, they'd lost everything. How did soldiers mark it? I mean, were they given a day or two off, or did military discipline have to be maintained? No, there was no days off. The war continued, actually. There was a lot of mopping up to do in Germany and in the low countries. Lives had to be restored, and people who remained in the army, those who had been conscripted into the army, remained in the army for a long time after VE Day. What was relationships like with the Soviets when the different forces met up across defeated Germany? Were relations immediately frosty or did they enjoy a quick bottle of vodka before the onset of the Cold War? There was a pretty good relationship between the Americans and the British, but a less good one with the Russians, who virtually everybody feared. You know, no one knew what the Russian troops were going to do, what atrocities they were going to commit, only the certain knowledge that they were going to commit atrocities, which is what they did. And so there was not much liaison or indeed any compatriot association between our allies, the British and the Americans, and the Russians. To what extent were people thinking about the war in the East? Or did this feel like the end of the war? Or did it just feel like victory in a one theatre and there was a big job yet to accomplish? That was certainly the feeling. And it was emphasized by Churchill over and over again. In his speech to the House at three o'clock on the afternoon of the day, he pointed out there was still a vicious and dangerous enemy to be defeated in the East. And he mentioned it again and again when he spoke to the people. He made, I think, three or four appearances on balconies during the course of the day, clearly having a wonderful time and enjoying himself enormously. And this wonderful Churchillian oratory about the dangers that still posed in the Far East was a constant, constant 
reminder. If you remember, I think he said in the house, we may allow ourselves a brief period of rejoicing, i.e. VE Day. But we have to understand that the war continues in Japan and in the Far East. Burma was still occupied by the Japanese. It was some time before General Slim's army was able to evict them. And of course, a lot of people were going to be posted to the Far East, but actually, in the end, those places were withdrawn after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, thank you very much indeed, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure. I'm glad I could do it. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Dan Snow's History. I really appreciate listening to this podcast. I love doing these podcasts. It's a highlight of my career. It's the best thing I've ever done. And your support, your listening is obviously crucial for that project. If you did feel like doing me a favour, if you go to wherever you get your podcasts and give it a review, give it a rating, obviously a good one, ideally, then that would be fantastic and feel free to share it. We obviously depend on listeners, depend on more and more people finding out about it, depend on good reviews to keep the listeners coming in. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.